This is uh, Paul Schneider today on the 125th edition of the Sports Untold podcast, also on Rainer Avenue Radio. A very special guest today, Seattle area basketball legend, Lindsay Wilson. Uh, Lindsay, I appreciate coming on the Sports Untold podcast, also on Rainer Avenue Radio. Yeah, let's let's do it. I love all those uh, familiar names. Uh, it's nice to have the Seattle connection and Seattle sports. Man, that just gets me fired up. Love it. Well, we have a Roswell High School tie, too. Lindsay, I see online there's a Win Lindsay Wilson College in Kentucky. I don't believe you have any connection at institution, do you? No, but it's spelled the exact same way. I think I discovered it. Someone told me about it when I was, like, 13 or 14, and they gave me, like, a Lindsay Wilson basketball T-shirt, which was pretty funny. Um, but, yeah, and, they yeah, they have a basketball team. So I guess that could have been my second option. Yeah, your namesake option. Lindsay, <laughs> I'm going to get back to you again in a minute. So my podcast is also now on Spotify, YouTube, Amazon, Google, iTunes, Podbean. You can go to sportsuntoldpodcast.com to listen to all my editions. I encourage my listeners to click the like button regarding my show, comment, and you can go to the website, sportsuntoldpodcast.com, and you can see my show is on all sorts of platforms, many shows since the last year I've been on video and visual format as well. Uh, Lindsay, I promise I get back to you again. I am. Uh, Lindsay was a star basketball player at my alma mater, Roswell High School in Seattle. She was profiled in a great documentary, which I highly recommend, Heart of the Game, about the Roswell women's basketball team. Uh, Lindsay played college basketball at Iowa State, where she played on three NCAA tournament teams, I believe. She received many awards of recognition. She was an honorable mention All-American and academic All-American. I believe Lindsay was the all-time leading scorer at Iowa State University. Lindsay played professionally in Europe and the Middle East for about eight years. She was drafted by a WNBA franchise, the Connecticut Sun. Lindsay started positive performance training about 2008, where she helps athletes and coaches and others reach their maximum potential. Uh, Lindsay's writings were profound and all sorts of national publications, including New York Times, Huffington Post, and ESPN. Lindsay, you're a podcast yourself. What's the name of your podcast? The Mindset, the Mindset Coach Academy. Mindset Coach Academy. So let me throw a plug for that as well. I look forward to listening to your podcast. And again, I really appreciate doing this coming on the 125th edition of the Sports Untold podcast. First of all, I love the name. Um, I have to I have to say, I don't think I was the leading scorer. I think it was up there, though. Um at Iowa State, and I think I've since been passed, which is what records are supposed to do. Um, but yeah, I I love chatting with people about sports and mindset and all of it. So I'm I'm really happy to be on. Thanks well, for having honor me. To, honor to have you. We'll have a great chat. We're going to hit on a potpourri of subjects. You know, I have a friend Lindsay who played basketball at Iowa State. Zaid Abdulaziz on my show, former Sonics player. Do you know Zaid at all? Lives in Seattle. I don't. Great I guy. think he was was he after me. Oh yeah, he he or he was way before you actually. Zayd's oh, before. Um, no, I don't. No. Great guy, great guy. Maybe I can get you guys introduced. Yeah, absolutely. Our Seattle people with the Cyclones connection. So, well, Lindsay, you know, basketball has played such a instrumental role in your life. Uh, why don't you just kind of share with us how you got the basketball bug as a young girl growing up in Seattle? I believe. Oh, I have to probably say it was my brother. Uh, brothers but certainly one played basketball more than others but we kind of played all the sports you know we were like three blocks from the community center and um uh you know we just I kind of lived there so um I was really serious about soccer as well soccer basketball ran track 
kind of did all the all the sports, but I don't know. There was just something about basketball um, that I just loved. I mean, you know, I, I probably was better at it. That always helps. <laughs> um, but we also had a hoop outside, so I played a lot with my older brother. And, um, you know, that bond, I kind of did anything that he wanted or he, anything he did, I wanted to do. Um, so that certainly planted the seed and there's just something about hoops. I mean, I think probably everybody that loves their sport feels that way, but I think sports, uh, you know, basketball, especially being in Seattle, such a basketball city and, um, you know, it's very mixed. You get to play with boys and girls and growing up and it's accessible and it's, um, it's such a city sports and you get to all sorts of different people and the social component, I think is really important. Not all sports are that social. I learned later on. Um, and I, I like physical contact too. You know, I think there's something, um, so I just, basketball is like, it's such, I mean, my, my college coach always just said it was like the perfect sport. And again, like I said, everybody's biased towards their sport, but man, there's something about hoops, you know, you go play with some friends and it's just I don't know. It's perfect to me. <laughs> I wasn't a top player myself, but I hear what you're saying about basketball. It really has a friendship element to it. Yeah. It's also a sport you can you can play yourself. You can shoot hoops on your own. And it, yeah, there is that component. Um, you know, I think it does. It gets harder. It's hard on the body. I think, you know, I, I see a lot of people, a lot of women stop playing um, because it gets harder to play and there's not as many like levels of competition that there are on the men's side. Um, so there's that, you know, it's very physical, but yeah, it's just, I don't know. There's something magical on the court, you know, it's just high-fiving your teammates and even the competition, you know, you're just, you're all right there. You can't hide. Um, so I love that part of it as well. You can run, but you can't hide. So no, you, you really can't. I mean, you can be good at certain areas and not, and not so good, great at others, but you know, everybody plays offense, everybody plays defense. Everybody has to dribble at some point. Everybody gets to shoot. You know, it's really great in that sense too. What community center did you did you grow up by? Queen Anne. Queen Anne, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Shout out to like all the people there because man, community centers and like they planted that seed too, and they would rebound for me. And I had mentors that played at a high level. Um, I was thinking like Tracy Thurgood played at University of Washington. I remember when she started working there. I like there was all these people that were there that really helped me as a basketball player and really as a human. I remember talking to them a lot about life. I like, was middle school and high school and um i think community centers are really really important no doubt no doubt i spent a lot of hours at the old lawhurst community center which is yeah. a, lot of, a lot of uh a lot of memories there okay Lindsay, i mentioned just the beginning you were you were in a very well-known documentary yes played yourself you, you in, in the heart of the game came out about 2006 and this show this movie has come up on my show in several conversations i've had joyce walker on i've had elise woodward on yeah and I'd like to throw a plug for this movie that people aren't familiar with. Yes. It's one of the best sports documentaries ever. And it's so it really hard is. to talk to someone who I'm referring to as yourself that was actually in it. Yeah. So I want to get a couple heart of the game questions in. Okay. And here's the first question. Now, tell me if this is accurate. I had heard years ago, and what you hear is not always accurate, but I, I want to get your uh, insights on this, that originally the movie was going to be more about you and some of the other players in your lives, but Darnelia Russell had such an incredible life experience that the documentary shifted a little bit to be more about Darnelia. Is that kind of an act? Um, I, you know, 
I don't really know. I don't know that Ward had a plan. I mean, maybe if he if he said that, then that's true. But um, the guy that made the documentary, the only thing I really knew is he had met Bill, you know, probably at the Duchess or something. And the you know, and plug for the movie. It is a great movie. Uh, you know, uh, it is just yeah. I totally agree. Um, it is a great great sports documentary. I think it actually was up for an Oscar, right? I think it was. It almost won, except um, Inconvenient Truth came out that same year. So it was never nominated. That was a question. Oh, it wasn't. Okay. Well, anyway, um, I know it was, it was considered. So um, anyway, Ward, the guy that made the movie, I mean, soup to nuts. I just remember him coming into the gym and I think he knew there was a story there. Darnelia wasn't there yet. I don't even know if she was a freshman. It was my senior year. And so he knew there was a story. I don't think he knew what the story was. I think he was enamored with women athletes playing hard and the culture that Bill had built um, and I think he was just sort of like started recording, you know, and, um, like probably a lot of creative things, you know, that he just started and he went where it went. And, um, and certainly the, the real drama and what made it a movie did come after, uh, you know, my class graduated and Darnelia mm -hmm. stepped up and that was such a, an interesting story and something that, you know, so many, so many facets to it. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. I think he just kind of started, but he was, he was in the gym, like practically every day for like seven years. And so, uh, yeah, he got a, he got a great story out of it, but man, he, he put in so much work and I don't think he knew if it was going to be, you know, if there was going to be anything there. Well, I think you may clear, clear that up. It was something that I heard and, and what, what you hear is not always accurate. So I was just Yeah, curious. well, and maybe he, ha maybe he had that year in mind. Maybe he thought it was just going to be that year, you know, <laughs> probably more likely. That's how a lot of projects start. Right. Right. Um, and then the the real meat of it came later. That would be my guess. But Darnelia's story, for some listeners who haven't seen it, I want to give away the whole movie, but she had a personal issue come up that affected her eligibility and lots of twists and turns. And it, it it's a it has a very holly it's a very hollywood movie it, it's based on a true story but a very hollywood movie mm -hmm. okay i want to ask you about the late bill wrestler your 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 roseville high school coach i didn't know bill well but i knew him a little bit i saw him the duchess tavern a couple times <laughs> duchess tavern a well-known north seattle tavern mm -hmm. and what are your thoughts on bill's coaching style the late bill wrestler and how do you compare his coaching style to some other coaches you've observed who coach basketball at different levels. Um, hmm, that's a that's a interesting question. How would I describe? Um, I think Bill. You know, I just got goosebumps talking about him. He was. Um, he came into my life at a really sort of pivotal time. Um, and, and just the way he, I think he had such a great balance. And I think he was a really good coach for, for that level, especially like high school girls, like what high school girls need is they need a safe split space to be tough and strong and win and lose and, and feel like they can go for it and emphasize the process and, and have fun, you know, in their sport, being aggressive and all those things that he really emphasized. And yes, we can go, we can win, you know, like we can win. That's not the most important thing, but we can care about that too. And we can be relentless. And I think, um, he just really understood that on a really, um, 
almost instinctual level, I think. Um, and he brought that into practices and games and just like the culture of the program. And that's why there was hundreds of people at his memorial service. Like it wasn't because we went to state. It wasn't because they won state. It wasn't because he was in the movie. It's because you came to practice and you knew Bill cared about you on a really deep level, not just as a basketball player that was like last on the list, you know? And so um, I think his coaching style to me um, represented really how coaching should be, you know, that we can, we can care about winning. It's not like we have to sit here and not care about winning. We can care about winning and we care about you as a human being first, foremost, that's it, you know? And uh, he, he made everything fun made everything fun you you i can tell you had a, some fond memories of, of bill as a coach but he didn't connect with everybody in the roseville high school community did he well i mean all that kind of stuff happened the not connecting happened after i left so i don't really even know i mean i i to me when i was there everybody loved him that was also right. his first year coaching right so maybe he didn't have time to piss people off i don't know i loved his style i thought he was amazing my family loved him um, but he had moved up from the assistant coach. So he was the assistant coach. I was only Roosevelt for two years. He was assistant coach my junior year. Still okay. had a great relationship with him because he was the assistant coach, you know, of the varsity. And then my senior year, who was the varsity. So I was only lucky enough to have him for a year. Um, but I, yeah, I, I, Bill was awesome. Right. Well, he, he was an interesting guy. Again, I didn't know him that well at all, but I always thought he was interesting, interesting guy. And just... He was a tax law professor who, <laughs> who a little later in life got into coaching women's high school basketball. He, he was a fascinating guy, no doubt about yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. Well, one of the heart of the game to come up a little bit. I mean, we, Lindsay, we can talk about the heart of the game the whole sh show, but yeah, I don't think it's for sure. Topics. So you grew up in Seattle. You attended Roosevelt High School. Why don't you share with us how you chose Iowa State University to play college basketball at? And it was a hard being a West Coast urban young woman from Seattle and attending college in Ames, Iowa in the Midwest. Tell us about attending Iowa State, your decision to, to, to choose that institution. Um, yeah, uh, they, they went out looking for um, someone with a certain amount of toughness. I was not highly recruited. Um, I had some options. It wasn't that I didn't um, have any options, but that was definitely highest caliber as far as playing the big 12 playing on tv had to gone to the ncaa tournament and i visited a few schools didn't really know what i wanted i mean how do you make a decision as a 17 year old i mean it, it's just like it, it seems so arbitrary except i was very it, it, except that it wasn't for me because i made my decision on basketball only like i was like i don't care if it's a big school i don't care if it's a small school i don't care i didn't even know my my coach ran mostly zone offense i mean that's how like i was like you have how many people at your games and you beat Connecticut last year and we're going to play in the NCAA tournament. I'm in. I don't care about the colors. I don't care what the majors are. It's a big university. I can figure, figure something out. Right. I didn't care anything, you know? And so for me going to the Midwest, I didn't even blink. I was like, basketball is my thing. I want to play at the highest level. I love the assistant coach who's now at university of Georgia, Katie Abrahamson Henderson. You know, a lot of people connect with the person, right? She was like my girl. I was like, I want to play for her. And um, she ended up leaving after a year, which I still tease her about. Um, but I just, 
yeah, as soon as I found out how seriously they take, and, and then that's, and that's the final thing, which I didn't understand from the first conversation, but I understood soon after is like, they take women's basketball serious in Ames, Iowa. And as a woman that, you know, loves hoops and dedicated my life to playing and like wanted to play at the highest level to be at the same level. Like it wasn't like walking around Iowa state. You feel like it's the basketball team, the men's basketball team, and then the women's basketball team. That is not how it felt. We were really good. We had lots of fans. People in the community loved us. Um, and it's, and to, to have that experience, I wouldn't have had that at university of Washington. I think later, not that they recruited me, they didn't really, but, um, later they got some more notoriety, but there's a lot going on in Seattle, you know? Um, and so to go to a small town where Iowa women's basketball is big, just in general in the state, you probably know the history there. Um, and to be at the same caliber as the men, it shouldn't be something that is like rare, but we're talking, we're also talking two thousands, early two thousands and it can be rare it was rare and so to have that feeling was awesome what an experience and uh what are a couple of your favorite memories if you mentioned one or two wins in playing basketball Iowa State yeah um well let's see winning um the big 12 championship back to back in Kansas City um was huge my whole family was there that was really really fun um so yeah, those, those were big, big tournaments and, um, yeah, I'm just playing at the highest level in, in those, in the big, the big 12 was just so competitive, you know, like game in game out, we were playing in all the Texas schools, Oklahoma, you know, like I remember at one time we had, I don't know, like, I, I probably don't have the numbers wrong, but there was a ton of teams in the top 10, top 25 that we were playing every week. So, um, that was really fun. Um, playing here, we played, my, my coach was great about always trying to get you to play back in your hometown. And I played at University of Washington. We lost, which is not such a fun memory. Um, we lost by one, I think, which was really painful. But I do remember looking up in the stands and seeing my niece and nephew wearing Iowa State 13 jerseys that I bought them. And, you know, to have that in your hometown and have all your friends and all your family, your extended family, people that have watched you play and supported you to have them all at that game. It's, I mean, the only thing I can compare it to is like your wedding, you know, when like everybody's there for you, like how often does that happen? Um, so that was really, really cool. And uh, always be, be grateful to have that memory. Um, who, what, what's, what university was Iowa State's biggest rival in those years that you played? Um, Oklahoma was really big. Uh, Stacey Dales, who's a, on the NFL network right now and a good friend of mine. Um, she was leading the charge there. Um, Baylor came up towards the end. Sheila Lambert, who you totally have on if you haven't already. Um, amazing basketball player from Seattle. So we played against each other, um, in the big 12. Ba Baylor came up kind of later though. They weren't super good. My first Great guest idea, Lindsay. Thank you. I get some of my best guests from other guests. So yeah. thank Idea. And I don't know. I, I know I saw Sheila a few years ago. I haven't seen her lately, but she she's amazing. I mean, she was just I, I would venture to say she, uh, you know, she was probably the best women's basketball player to come out of Seattle, really. Um, uh, let's see. So that, that, those are probably the big ones. Nebraska was really good at that time. Um, Texas. I remember we beat Texas on the road my freshman year to secure the Big 12 regular season championship. Um, playing at those big schools, I mean, Texas, you know, you're talking about the athletic department there and you're playing 
in these arenas and it's just it's such an experience you know it's just um so that that was another good memory but yeah those are the big the big rivals i would say well i i, I enjoy hearing about some of your favorite memories when you play iowa state and i think it's it's fun to hear your story of coming back to play at the university of washington and, and although you guys didn't apparently win that game it was it's that it must have been a pretty amazing experience it so, was it was yeah Lucy had two weddings you know then so that you know, yeah <laughs> regular wedding so good good um Lindsay, you played eight years professionally in Europe and the Middle East. I want to want to probe you a little bit about your experience playing these countries. And I do have a question from the audience. My okay. friend Dean Nielsen, another Roosevelt High School graduate. Dean was a couple of years behind me at Roosevelt. Dean is now a political consultant based in Seattle. And Dean was curious about when you played in Middle East countries as a woman was it hard being a woman living in those middle east countries and did you interact much with women in some of these middle east countries when you played um well the only one that i played in was israel so i think israel is a little bit different um so i i think the only time i really noticed it um was when i was traveling to other countries um and traveling alone you know, there was a lot of questions at the border and a lot of questions, actually, even within Israel, I shouldn't say that, um, of just like, I, I think traveling alone as a woman without much of an itinerary, because I only played, I only played for my team for a month and then I, I had a option, they had an option to keep me and we lost every game. So I was out of there, but I stayed for a while after that and just traveled around. I didn't really have an itinerary. I was like, I'm here. I'll probably get another contract, which I ended up doing. I went, I went over to Croatia. So I was like, I'm not going to go home. You know, I'll probably get picked up in a couple of weeks and which is what happened. And so well, about a month. And so I just traveled around. I just went over to Jordan and Egypt and I just went down to the Red Sea. And um, definitely, I think that was maybe, I don't know. They, I got more questions than normal, but maybe that's just their security. I don't know. It was in Israel. Where'd you live in Israel when you played? I was right outside Tel Aviv um, in a place called Ramata Sharon. But like I said, I was only there for a month. Uh, and then I went down to Elat on the Red Sea and I lived there for another month. Um, so Israel was not the place that I know the best or stayed the longest or have super deep roots. There was other places that I played that I felt like, I mean, at some point it kind of felt a little bit like a second home. Um, and so Israel felt a little bit more like traveling, to be honest, because I was there for such a short amount of time, but it was amazing. Tel Aviv is a cosmopolitan city, isn't it? Oh yeah. I mean, everything's, um, I mean, most, most of the cities that I played in, uh, you know, are kind of Western enough where you can kind of make your way pretty easily. It didn't necessarily feel like that my first year having been away from home for the first time and, and just being plopped down in the middle of Europe. But um, yeah, very cosmopolitan and, you know, you can kind of find anything that you need. What, um, what were, what were some other countries you played in besides Israel and Croatia? Let's see. I played in, I know it in order. I played in Greece, Turkey, Slovakia, Lithuania, Israel, and Croatia. Uh, my, Producer Lucius has a question, and he's curious a little bit more about your experience in Egypt. Oh, well, I was, I remember it very distinctly because I went over to scuba dive and it was, um, they had turned off, it was in, let's see, well, whatever year that was, um, the, all the uprising and they had turned off the internet. So we were on a boat in the middle of the Red Sea off the coast of, I'm blanking on the name right across from Israel. Anyway, 
we were on a boat and they're like, we, they just turned the internet off for the whole country. And we we're like, yeah, so maybe we should get out of here. Uh, so we went back to Israel and, and that was that. So I have step, stepped foot in, uh, and mostly in the water, I should say, cause I was scuba diving, um, in, in Africa, in the continent of Africa. <laughs> um, Croatia, I, I, yeah. What years were you in Croatia or what year? Were you in Croatia? Let's see. It was, um, 2011 yeah 2011 and that was many years after the the, the mid 90s war conflict or late 90s war conflict so. yes yes i understand and we talk about all sorts of stuff on sports untold i understand yes. that croatia is one of the most fascinating european countries to see people say it's a very beautiful country it is drop dead gorgeous it is like unbelievably gorgeous I was staying um, in a town, maybe like two hours up the coast yeah. from Split, um, and yeah, just a, a old, old, you know, cobblestone street town, and that that's where our team was actually. And then I stayed like thirty minutes outside that in a little um, like fishing village that was our owner owned this hotel, and so I basically stayed, you know, on the sea. Uh, in a hotel next to this little, and really all was open was a cafe. Um, and there's all these islands. I mean, my, my drive to, to work, so to speak, to practice every day was, you know, what, probably one of the most gorgeous highways in the world, I would imagine. I mean, you're wow. just, you know, dipping through and looking out over the, over the, the sea, just the whole time. It's just absolutely gorgeous. And, um, I, I traveled a, a you know, a fair amount in, in Croatia, not necessarily, all the hot spots, but just where I was, you just go to a waterfall, you go to like a UNESCO heritage site, world heritage site, and you see, you know, medieval castles. And it's, uh, I mean, Greece was a, a lot of places I played were like that with the history, but Croatia is, is definitely a, not so hidden now, but a little bit of still of a hidden gem, I guess. A little hidden still, right. Uh, how's the food in Croatia? Delicious. Yeah. It's nothing crazy. It's just, you know, high quality, um, just yummy it's just good it's not um it's not not that like crazy spices or anything like that um it's not so distinct i guess is what i mean but it's just good quality just good food a lot of seafood right yeah so what was your you, i mean eight years your young woman playing abroad for about eight years what was your favorite country you played in if you had to pick one? Oh man people ask me that all the time and it is so hard to answer um yeah, I, I don't, every place was just so distinct. I mean, Greece, I played for the longest time. So I had the best friends there. I played for two and a half seasons. I mean, I, I was, Greece ended up just being such a wonderful, it felt very familiar and very homey for me. Um, so I had a lot, a lot of fun. I think from a, um, you know, the, the traveler in me, I mean, living in Istanbul is like, I mean, it's, it's where Asia and Europe meet, you know, I mean, that's, that's what they say. And that's what it feels like, you know, you're, a, you take a boat and you're in Asia and the, from the colors to the spices, to the influence of that, that feels, you know, a lot of these countries, if you go to the city, it feels very Western, right? I mean, it's like, yeah, they speak a different language and there's some different foods, but it, it can feel very Western. You can go into a bar or a cafe and it feels, you know, like California, maybe. In um, Istanbul, you still have some of that, but it also feels very exotic is not the right word, uh, but you know what I mean? It feels 
foreign from for an American. And that's, that's fun, right? Like that, that's exciting for me. Um, and the food was amazing. The people are really warm. I really, really loved Istanbul. And I, I just remember that feeling of like looking around being like, oh my God, my whole life, I could say I lived in Istanbul. Like that is so cool. Like the history of, of that place um, was pretty awesome. I would also say Slovakia, which was surprising to me. I lived in a little town of like 25,000 people. And I say 25,000 people, and I don't even know how they would have gotten to that number now that I think about it. Like it was so small. Uh, and like sheep were outside my door. You know, I could hear their little bells. It was very uh, rural and beautiful and simple. And I really, really enjoyed it. I'm glad that wasn't my first year. I think I would have gone a little bit crazy because I wouldn't have known how to enjoy it. Um, but I really, really loved Slovakia. Liz, I'm after calling like a Rick Steves right now. We're just hitting on the <laughs> travel talk. I'm I know like, I can I can talk about how wonderful all these places were. And totally. you know, and then I but I I choose not to remember that, that there were times that were lonely and hard either. I I tend not to remember those, but Sure. Um, did, did you now? Here's one thing I that I've heard um, in in that women's basketball circles that women that play outside the United States, for example, in some of these European countries, that they can be get more attention in many ways than the attention women basketball players get in the states. Did you experience that a little bit? Um, not so much because I I didn't play like there's very few places that are like that. And there's very few levels. So you're looking at WNBA is the highest level in the world. And then you're looking at EuroLeague. I played one year in EuroLeague and, you know, I played against Sue Bird. I played against Lauren Jackson. Like you play against those teams in, in Moscow, as many people are understanding what that world is like now. Um, but that level, you know, that's uh, that's like the best team in each country um would play at that level and so um there's there's a huge wide range I mean not so much not so different than here when you're talking about you know the power five conferences and then you're talking about community college right like there's just a lot of different levels overseas and um and you know I, I would say that like there was a lot of times I looked around too and you know you think you're going to the professional level after division one and it, and it, you're, yes, someone is handing you money, but it feels like a step down from facility standpoint, travel, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and also there were many times when I looked around and I was like, they're paying me how? <laughs> like there, we don't, there's no ticket sales. You know, how is this funded? Um, which there was various ways that I, some I learned about later or some I just kind of figured out um, because it was like, Yes, there's cash, but there's not necessarily like the infrastructure or the support for women's basketball or women's sports in general, I should say, that we that we have here. There's no Title IX, you know, like right. so you just you're lucky that you get paid if they pay you. And there's not a whole lot of, uh, you know, as a lawyer, I'm sure you understand, there's not a lot of things you can do if they don't pay you, except just, just not practice. So, you know, you don't have a lot of protection in that in that regard. And certainly you have more. Uh, agency than the locals you know who who really don't have that power so you know grateful for the experience for sure and to be paid to play the sport that you would gladly do for free is quite an experience um but the the women's sports infrastructure over there is a little bit confusing to be honest because you are someone's handing you money and yet there's not a lot of 
like it doesn't feel necessarily like the professional level all the time. Interesting. A lot, a lot there. I got another question from the audience. It's actually from an attorney I know, Mark Plunkett. And Mark's question says two good questions. One is, when will women's basketball update their uniforms to more modern, contemporary, modern look? Mark's second question, um, with that, along with that first question, is when this increased sales and attendance? And his third question here is, do you foresee your future in college or professional basketball? Um, I don't know what to say about the uniforms. I feel like they've been updated a lot. Um, so I'm not, I'm not sure what, what is looking like for that, but, um, yeah, I mean, they look, they look wildly different than, um, than what I, not wildly different. They look different than what, um, what, what, what we wore. Um, and what was the second question? Yeah, oh, he, I guess he was wondering if, if the, if the change of uniforms could possibly increase sales and attendance of women's basketball. Then his next question is, do you foresee yourself? ever doing work in college or pro basketball well i mean it's it's you know my first instinct is to say we don't talk about increasing sales and ticket sales for men's what they wear so i, <laughs> I don't know what to say about that okay. 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 um and then my um my my future i don't know i don't i don't was he talking about coaching i, I think so or maybe administrate maybe yeah yeah, uh, yeah well, you know i um I think for me, I, I love sports and I'm very passionate about the power of sports to influence young people. And for me, the mindset piece of it is where my passion is. Um, you know, I, I will probably coach my daughters and that sort of thing. Um, but high level coaching is such a lifestyle and such a sacrifice, um, that, yeah, I, I think after try, I mean, I remember my instincts when I first finished playing, I was like, I've been up, uprooted and leaving every six months to eight months for my entire twenties, which was really fun. And I didn't want to do that anymore. <laughs> I wanted to be in Seattle. My family's here. I wanted to raise my kids here. Who knows what the future holds? Um, but that was sort of my mindset of like, I, I am interested in the mindset piece. I'm not so interested in X's and O's and I'm definitely not interested in moving and not having so much control over where I live. But Again, you know, everybody makes sacrifices when something's important to them. So I don't know. At this point, I'm pretty happy with running my business here in Seattle. We're going to talk more about your motivational work in a few minutes, but I got some more stuff I want to talk about. I'm having a great good. conversation. Paul Schneiderman of the Sports Untold Podcast, also on Rainier Apple Radio. I encourage my listeners to like, comment, go to sportsuntoldpodcast.com. You can watch my show on YouTube, Rumble, and all sorts of outlets. So I, I want to, you brought up Sue Bird earlier. And I want you to comment on Sue Bird's legacy. You mentioned that you played uh, against her at one point. And I want you to comment on Sue's legacy in general. But can you can we make a case that Sue is the most impactful American female basketball player of the 21st century? Yeah, I think that's well, I mean, yeah, I, I think uh yeah, because I would say, you know, when I think about um the people that I think about are Sue. I think about um, the, the earlier generation, Cheryl Swoops. Um, I think that next, so the, like, there's this, the, the evolution, right? Of like, to even have a women's sports league. That was like Cheryl Swoops, Rebecca Lobo. That's where like the 96 team, you know, that was like laying the foundation and the NBA got behind it. And that was like, you know, let's call that first wave or whatever. And Sue, I think has been, obviously we were all the beneficiary 
of those women. And Sue has really been on that next level of like, you know, and especially with, with her, with her partner, Megan, like the equal pay and making women's basketball more in the forefront. Um, and of course all the LGBTQ stuff and like, there's a lot of things mixed in with that, but, um, yeah, I think women's basketball has come a really long way. And Sue's been a big part of that. And uh, even in the last 10, 15, throughout her career, but even particularly in the last 10 to 15 years, there's still a long way to go. Um, but her success with Seattle and Storm has been amazing. And so she's very recognizable. And I think people respect her a lot, which is important. So first 22 years or so of this century, you you could make a good case. Yeah, for sure. Actual American female basketball player. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I think we had her in Seattle for 20 years. It's just easy. Yeah. Yes. Easy. All right. This is a controversial subject, but I want to pick your brain. We're, we hit on all sorts of stuff on Sports Untold. And and as many people know, Brittany Griner is a well known American female basketball player, is currently being detained in Russia. It's getting enormous attention. And I want you to comment. I want to get your thoughts on Brittany Griner's situation, Lindsay. But, but I, I have sort of a somewhat different question about it. I wouldn't mind you commenting on um it strikes me and this is maybe a maybe a somewhat underrated part of the story feel free to challenge me with my comments and the question yeah I, I think that the idea of a lot of american athletes american basketball players mostly female but there's some male basketball players that go to play in russia too but many of these women players are playing in putin's russia heavily for financial reasons and do you see some broader equity issues the idea that a, a woman's professional player feels kind of compelled for financial reasons even playing rush in the first place comment on that and just just your general comments the whole situation if you well want. uh the whole situation is really sad and tragic and uh, i just uh it, it's just the thought that she is over there and what they charge i mean the what they sentenced her to is just uh it, it's just awful um and she just got caught in this storm and so i don't know what to say other, other than that that just it's just a shitty shitty situation um as to why she was there in the first place um you know i think the the thing that i go back to having having done that i didn't play in the wnba um but it really goes back and I, don't, I don't know if this is what you wanted but the the idea that like these women are playing 11 months out of the year like that is so and then when you look at like sue's legacy and how long she's done that like it is unbelievable how hard that is on your body right and right. to be able to keep that up just because i don't think people really quite understand how low the, the salaries are in the WNBA. i mean yes they're more than teachers make we can have that debate too and it's only for you know four months um but it's really really low as, as far as you know just having sort of a regular life um it's not so bad for young people no responsibilities and but to really you know use you only have a certain number of years to play so right. to really maximize their career they you do have to go overseas and make that money um and that's that sucks <laughs> i mean i don't know what else to say um but i know i know there there's economic considerations as well um i think there's other things that are a little more cut and dry like um uh like usa women's soccer you know that really um highlight uh real discrimination 
you know, the, when they're, their TV rights and everything like there's just so there's other I think there's other examples that are even more blatant I guess that are really people sitting in offices making decisions based on gender you know um so I, I it's it's a lot for these women to go overseas and then play in the WNBA I will say that a lot there I guess the, the premise of my question or topic Lindsay I was hitting on is that something that has come up to some extent but maybe not heavily in this whole Brittany Griner conversation is maybe if the salaries are better than in the WNBA, she wouldn't have to be there in the first place playing. That's that was yeah going with the question. Hopefully, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, but I think as long as the WNBA season is short, and I think as long as they're, I I don't know that 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 would stop people from going overseas and playing just because South, you know. Even if they were making more money in the WNBA, would people not go overseas? Maybe they wouldn't feel like they had to, but probably a lot of them still would because, you know, you can make more money for that short amount of time that you you have to play. But I agree. I mean, it's it's when you're a professional athlete and you have to play all year round, it's it's a lot. Maybe not Russia though. Maybe they would. Maybe she would have gone somewhere else to play if the salaries are better. Just just hypotheticals, and I'm just sort of exploring this in this. Yeah, I mean, some people go to places that I, I I've always played in places that I really wanted to be in, but certainly like people go to places and they just sort of go to practice and go to the hotel and never really even experience the culture. You know, they just are there strictly to play, and uh, right. it's not that enjoyable. These are two questions I've asked every guest since about late 2019. My The two questions are, one, who is a living sports figure you'd love to interview or chat? Can be a general manager, a player, an executive. And who's a deceased sports figure in history Lindsay would have loved to have spent time with or interviewed or chatted with? Oh, man, you're going to put me on the spot here. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> um, Deceased, I don't know. I think living... Um, you know, someone that, that I think is really, well, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm just going to say two living because that's, I don't know. I think uh, Billie Jean King is such a, an icon and someone that really, um, I mean, you could just go on and on, but someone that's so early recognized that there was work to be done, you know, that, and, and her advocacy and just on so many levels, uh, I think has really helped women's sports. So I think that's pretty awesome. Um yeah, I can't really think of right very important figure. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think, you know, I'm, I'm always going to bias towards towards women, I think. And that that just does goes to show like the women's sports history. There's not that many deceased high level women that you can think of, you know, because our, our window of having really high level known names in female sports, that window has been really small. Um so I don't, I don't, can't think of anybody that's deceased. I, I probably will as soon as we hang up. But I, I'm going to, I'm going to throw out a deceased sports figure that, that his connection to women's sports is probably more limited, but a case can be made that what he did expanding labor rights for American athletes has probably transcended into other sports, including women's sports. The late major league baseball labor union organizer, Marvin Miller, He's okay. now in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Miller played a big role in improving working conditions of American baseball players. So he's someone that I think has a, a pretty broad legacy. When That's he cool. Expand, um, expand uh, opportunities for, for athletes. Just food for thought. I thought I'd throw out yeah. Miller. The other person that um, I think is just really um, 
inspiring. And, and, and of course her name's been coming up a lot lately because she just retired, but it's Serena Williams. And I, and I, it's not, yes, it's because of her prowess on the tennis court, but I will say the one thing that I really think about with her is, um, I don't know if you saw the documentary that she made or the four part series or whatever it was. Uh, I think it was HBO. And there's a, um, it's not a little richer. I haven't seen that one, but I saw it. No, it's not. It's a, it's a, it's a documentary. It's, it's just Serena. I, I might even call Serena. I'm not sure. Anyway, it's a four part series, I think, or three or something like that. And there's these, um, these clips of her, um, pumping breast milk for her, you know, new baby in the locker room about to go out to like the U S open or something. And to me as a mom and as having been a professional athlete and played at like a really high level, like that moment to me of someone pumping milk and getting their mind right to go like be a killer on the tennis court is like freaking amazing. Like that is a really hard thing to do. And so to me, like that image, like I saw that I was like, that's why she's great. You know, it's not like all this other stuff like that, the mentality required to switch and be a killer on the court, having just like pumped milk for your baby is like amazing. It's so cool. Serena's come up before Lindsay's living sports figure. A couple of my other guests would would love to chat with. So I would, but but those are great names. Billie Jean King, Serena Williams. Yeah. Um, okay. This is a lighter question. Favorite sports movie? Mm. The heart of the game, of course, but, but when the heart of the game would definitely be up there. Right. Um, you know, I'm so in like mom brain. I like have no recollection of any sports movie. I mean, definitely Hoosiers is up there. Um, great one. Um, Field of Dreams. That was a great one. Good one. Good one. What was that great women's baseball movie that came out in the early nineties? League of Their Own. Yeah. I love that one. I actually came to my mind too. I love that one. There's no crying baseball. That was yeah, definitely a good movie. Good, good. Okay. Got a couple other. Uh do you think the WNBA would do better if it moved, if it if it played in the fall, winter, and spring rather than the summer? Oh, no idea. I th- I think in Seattle it's challenging, but then of course we, we have great fans here. So <laughs> maybe it's not so challenging here. Um, Seattle has always embraced women's sports and obviously the storm has been so good. And of course, Sue's been a part of that. So, but it does to me, I think for a lot of people and, and, you know, going inside during the summer when Seattle is, there's only, you know, so many nice uh, days. I, I imagine that's a challenge for some people. Um, but that being said, there's so much other basketball going on during the year. So I don't know. I, I'm sure they have some numbers to, to at least guess. Um, I had Joyce Walker on a couple of years ago. Joyce suggested that Joyce thought that if the WNBA moved during the NBA season, they could maybe do some double headers. And it's an interesting idea. I, I don't Yeah. Know. And I, I, I don't know why they didn't in the beginning. I guess it must've been television rights or something, but, um, Yeah. I, don't know. I promise we're going to talk about your positive performance training now for a few minutes. Definitely want oh, yeah. to get some stuff in. So tell me what you're, tell the listeners what you're doing. Because there's a lot of motivational speakers and motivational institutions out there. What are, what are you doing that's unique? How does, how does your positive performance training stand out? You know, so that's a great question. So <laughs> what I do is I teach the mindset of high performance. I teach 
people how to really tap into training their brain like they train their body. A lot of it is for athletes. A lot of it is for lifelong athletes. Um, and really my focus now is I used to work solely with athletes and teams. And now I really work with individuals that want to start their own mindset coaching business or coaches that want to take mindset to their team. So an example would be, you know, you're a high school coach or a division two coach and you have no access to sports psychology. You have no help in that realm. And yet your athletes, maybe you want to start a side business. I teach you how to do that as well, but you want your athletes to be mentally tough. What does, that, what does that even mean? And how do you do it? Um, and of course you can go down the rabbit hole of, of trying to figure that out on your own on YouTube or study it or what have you, or you can get somebody to help you really implement tools in the same way you're doing it on the, you know, strength training side or stretching side that you can implement in your practice and you could take it and you can teach your athletes how to learn how to train their brain. Great, great. So I had a sports psychologist on my show a couple of years ago, a guy I grew up with in Seattle, Dr. Ross Flowers. He's now based in Los Angeles. And Ross has worked with the Olympic Committee. I think he's worked for the LA Clippers. He's an old, 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 uh, old friend acquaintance I've known, I've known for a long time. And I asked Ross this question. I'm going to ask you this question. And Ross, Ross has a PhD in the area of sports psychology. Can, can you make an average athlete a top athlete through psychological improvements? Um, it's, it's an interesting question. So I would say that we all have sort of a ceiling on, on, on our talent and how hard we're going to work to develop that talent. But the third piece is this mental piece. And you can have two out of three. And if you don't have that third piece, it's really hard to be successful. It's really hard to get to your full potential. And most people are struggling on the mental side. That doesn't mean you can take an athlete that can't do anything physically, whether that's skill or athletic ability and make them absolutely the greatest player ever, but you can help them recover faster from mistakes. You can help them go for it and be relentless and aggressive in the moment. You can help them, you know, learn how to recover after losses and learn how to not beat themselves up. And so all of these things, which we kind of encompass in like being mentally tough, some people come to it more naturally than others, but everybody can improve it. Because these are really life skills of being able to, to find peak performance consistently instead of sort of by accident, right? So Liz, so, yes. sorry, go ahead. No worries. I don't have to do. So, so could you take, even in sports, a 10 or 15% improvement? Of course, we're, it's hard to quantify. That could- Abs- absolutely, yes. Uh, it is hard to quantify. Right. But I mean, you think of like how quickly someone can, uh, like a mistake can snowball into multiple mistakes, how quickly someone can lose confidence and not be able to recover. I mean, these are huge, these are huge mental, it's almost like we have these forks in the road. And if you're not training your brain, you're not figuring out the mindset, you're not respecting that part, the human response to failure and ups and downs. And remember, athletes, as we all know, are doing it publicly. Right. That's even harder. 
If you don't have some toolbox to handle that, there's these forks in the road that can mean the difference between getting the next level and not. That can mean the difference between winning and losing. That can mean the difference between making the team and not making the team. And so 10 to 15% is really nothing, <laughs> you know, those because margins in sports are, those little margins are important. Exactly. Right? And, and it, and it's not the margins are one thing, but it's also when those mental skills are the most important, there's often huge um, ramifications on either side. Um, and so it really adds up to someone being able at every level it, there. It's so mental. I mean, I learned these skills in high school and then I had to test them at the next level. I went from being the best on the team to the worst on the team. How do you handle that? If you're not mentally prepared, it doesn't matter how many hours you practice. That is part of it for sure. Hard work is always a part of it. It doesn't matter how tall you are or how fast you are. It doesn't mean SHIT if you can't handle the stress and the pressure and the expectations. So, you know, it, it, it has it, that the mental side affects everything. Lindsay, a lot of researchers say long-term emotional intelligence, EQ can be more important than IQ. So absolutely. I mean, how we respond to things is, is vital. No doubt. No doubt. Lindsay, you've been so incredibly generous with your time and you've been an incredible day with, with, with these topics. So I think one or two questions in, I can let you go. Is that okay? Oh, sure. Yeah. Right. Great. So self-esteem, when I was growing up, I'm early fifties now, it, it was kind of de-emphasized and teachers and coaches would tell kids, you're, you know, you're not this, you're not that smart. You're not this. I mean, I, you know, when I was growing up in the seventies and eighties, there wasn't a whole lot of self-esteem, yeah. but now it seems like the pendulum's shifted to some extent where maybe, maybe self-esteem's gone too far. What, give me your, give me your take on, on, on sort of self-esteem movement. There, there's a balance, isn't there? Yeah. So the pendulum went from sort of hard, let's say even the coaching or teaching standpoint of like right. being just really hard on people. Right? right. That's kind of, that's um, minimizing it, but you know what I mean? Right. And then it swung to the other side where kids need a lot of praise. And that's where people that didn't have that get irritated and they call it like the, um, the trophy culture, you know, everybody gets a trophy, right? right. That kind of right. thing. Right. And right. you just tell people how great they are all the time. And then research showed that that doesn't work either. <laughs> So now we're swinging back to the middle when it's parenting, coaching, teaching, and we praise the process and we create a sort of the emotional safety, safe space for people to lose and win and go for it and, and not praise so much the results. So it's not that you're great. It's not that you're terrible. It's, it's just work hard right? These, you can develop yourself, um, you know, better. And that a lot of that comes down to like, um, the, um, Angela Duckworth and, um, Carol Dweck, all their research, um, which basically shows like, you know, for example, if you, well, I'll tell you an example from my own life. So my daughter, um, is playing soccer and she scored a bunch of goals and, you know, immediately I'm like, Oh, great. But I, but I, I make sure that she understands. And I ask her, I say, mommy's proud of you. Are you proud of yourself? You know, and why are we proud? And, and it's, and is, is it because you scored goals? No, it's because you played hard. Right. And so we are constantly trying to reinforce the process and not the results and not, and, and if she doesn't play hard, whether she scores goals or not, and this is, I think from a hard point from parenting or coaching is like, it's not about if you want or lost. Yes, we can go for that but did you play hard? And if you won and played, didn't play hard, 
we can talk about that too, right? Because it's all about the process of of what we need to do to get to what we want. A lot there, a lot there. So so fascinating. If I ever have you back one day, we can dive more into all these all these things. <laughs> this may be my final question for today. So many different people in different fields go through a certification process: automakers, <laughs> lawyers, uh, right. healthcare providers. The, the list goes on. I mean, just um, hairstylists. I mean, but most K through twelve coaches never go through any certification process in, in being a coach would you like to see youth sports have some sort of certification process for coaches well you can get certified with us but you know i think um the challenge with that is often when you make people do something it's just a a, a thing to check off your list so I would say, yeah, I would say coaches need resources. And so many coaches come to us because they're not getting, they get, they have go to seminars and they go to, you know, they get their CEUs or whatever, and it's X's and O's. And yet on the mental side, they don't get any training. They don't know what to do. And all this stuff is coming at them. So they're just, they just like do the throwing spaghetti approach, right? They just like try a bunch of crap and see if it helps their athletes or it's very reactive, right? And so they're just trying to, to shore up these mental cha training challenges. It's like having a, a, tr a trainer to, to help with injuries, but not having a strength coach, right? So it's like, you, could, you, would, you would need the trainer way less if you had a way to get the athletes in shape right. And get them strong and, and build up the muscles to, to withstand that. And that's kind of what, where we, where we fall into is like a lot of the mental training is maybe on the sports psychology side or the mental health side and it's reactive, right? We try to train people before that, but most people don't get that. So I do think that coaches deserve that, whether that's required or not. I don't know, because like I said, I feel like a lot of the, it's like a, these video series and not that it's not important as concussion and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, so, but it, I feel like a lot of it is just checking the box, you know? Um, but I do think that coaches deserve to have, um, to be trained in that because they're dealing with it anyway. This topic came up last year. I had basketball great Kenny Anderson on and Kenny's now coaching at Fisk university in Tennessee. We talked about Kenny says he would support some kind of coaching certification process maybe i can get you connected to kenny anyhow he he, he was uh, this came up in a conversation well yeah. what a great conversation Lindsay. fascinating great to have a, a about rough rider on and just such a great hour and uh, always the best you and i will be in touch yeah and then big shout out to jim shea for connecting us absolutely jimmy's a great guy you know yeah. i've had some wonderful people get me connected to some great guests such as yourself absolutely thanks so much guys thanks, all the best thank you all right